Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you and hear all of you. Caleb, thank you for sharing your gift with all of us. It's uh, incredible. Um, I, I kept thinking, I was like, I hope I'm as good of a preacher as he is at leading singing. Um, maybe someday. But uh, I, uh, we've been going through this series on the book of Ruth. And uh, I'm going to do something that maybe my professors would have told me not to do. But um, what I want to do is there were just, we read through every chapter. And there were just a few things that I didn't feel like we got to talk about as much as I would like. We didn't get to dwell on it as much as I think it deserves justice. Now my professors would have said, well then just save all those things for the next time you preach Ruth. Um, but uh, I don't know, I just can't do that. Uh, so i uh, got to milk all of it out that I can. And even, even just in five uh, sermons, we won't be able to do that. But what I want to do is, there are just going to be three things, three things that I don't think we got to talk about enough, and I'm going to talk about each of them. And they're not necessarily connected or related, but uh, I think they're all very important. The first thing I want to talk about is the inclusive story of God. One thing that Steve Clifton posed to our Wednesday night class one night talking about this is he said, why do you all think Ruth is in the Bible? Why do you think the book of Ruth is in there? Because we know that the Bible is books and law and prophets, different things that were compiled. And someone had to say, we need to make sure that this makes it in there. And uh, it's, it, it's an interesting thought. And it's something that um, is particularly interesting whenever we read this. From Deuteronomy 23.3, in the law, the law says, no Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter into the family or the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation, not even the great, 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 great grandkids of an Ammonite or a Moabite. And yet, throughout the story, we have Ruth, and frequently the narrator tells us, Ruth the Moabite, and Ruth the Moabite this, and Ruth the Moabite that. And yet, not only... So, so the question we have to ask ourselves is, does that mean that someone broke the rules, you know, does that mean, uh, wait a second, I thought the rule was no Moabite or Ammonite in the family of God. And not only is Ruth in the family of God, she's literally the great-great-grandmother of King David and the great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus Christ himself. So she's definitely in the family. And it brings up the question, because I don't think there's a contradiction here, but what I think we have to realize is that, as I said maybe a few times, the reason why Ruth is included in God's plan and God's faithfulness and God's story is because of the faithfulness that she demonstrated and how that made her more of an Israelite than her blood and where she came from. Ruth's inclusion in the people of Israel shows the, the readers back then and it shows us today that God cares for all of our world's Ruths. All of the outcasts, all of the foreigners, all of the outsiders. God from the beginning had a plan for them to be brought inside. And by the way, whenever you hear me say the word foreigner, when I hear the word foreigner, I usually think people that are not American. When we hear the word foreigner in the Bible, it means everyone who's not an Israelite. So when you hear foreigner, the only reason why we get to be included in the story of God as a foreigner is because we have a God about who cares about us being included to the point to which he sent his son to die on the cross for us to be a part and included in the family of God. Ruth's Steadfast faithfulness to Naomi demonstrates the qualities that God is looking for in his people, whether you are a foreigner or not. So two little subgroups of this, this first point. The first thing that I want to say, and I want to say it carefully because I think there's a right way to say this, um, 
But the first thing that we see from this, God's inclusion in the story, is that faithful love trumps law. Deuteronomy 23.3 is the law that says no Ammonite, no Moabite. And yet we see that it is the faithful love that comes first throughout Scripture. And if you don't believe me, let's turn to this story in Mark 2. I'm going to preface this story by saying we see this probably most clearly by the number of times that Jesus... Who were, who were the people that Jesus got the most upset with in the Gospels? The people who knew the law the best. But if you don't know how to apply the law and you don't know that love comes first in the law, do you actually really know the law or have you missed the whole point? So this is a story where we see an example of someone missing the point of the law and Jesus reminding them, hey, actually, there's some things that come first. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing that? Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? It's unlawful to work. And so to, to pick the grain was working. He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And part of the point that he's making, there's a lot of this that we won't get into, but the point I want to mention is this idea that Jesus keeps saying, hey, you know this law that God created? This rules that he gave us? It's because he knows those rules will lead to life. He knows those rules will lead to us being able to be closer with him. To follow, If you follow the law, you're going to have so many ways in which you're able to draw nearer to God. And the purposes of the law are to serve us as his people. We were not created to be law followers. The law was created to serve and to bless us. And we often see in scripture that the people who make the rules more important than love are criticized by Jesus because he always says, listen, before you ever get lost or confused in what the rules are about, if you ever find yourself following a rule and it leads to not loving a person, then you missed it. If you ever notice yourself like they said to Jesus, well, Jesus, you're not supposed to heal this person on the Sabbath. And he says, are you kidding me? The point of all this is for me to take care of people. The point of why we exist is to love others and to love God. And if we ever get the rules twisted upside down in such a way where the rules come first over loving and serving people, then we've missed it. And we see Ruth clearly show this by the narrator constantly pointing out. Everyone reading would have known, hey, Ruth's not really one of us. But you know what made her one of us, it wasn't that they changed the law, is that they realized and, and Boaz knew and Ruth knew and the storytellers know. It's because of the faithfulness and the love that was shown that comes first. And we, as people, have to be very careful not to do the same thing in our own situation. We have to be very careful not to be people where we get so caught up in the rules that we've determined to, are the church rules that it ever leads to someone not feeling love. Love trumps law and mercy triumphs over judgment. The other thing I want to point out from this story that I think is related to this idea of God's inclusive story is that uh, one thing I read throughout as I was studying for this series is that the narrator really wants you to know that the consequences of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi's faithful love is God's inclusion in the story and God's redemption. Um, a lot of the Old Testament really does like to show stuff where it's like the consequences of this bad things 
leads to sin or leads to death. And the consequences of these good things lead to God's redemption and God's inclusion in the story. If you're like me, and I think you all are, you hate the feeling of feeling excluded for something. I understand it now, but when I was a kid and my older sister had friends over and they were going to watch a movie, I never understood why they got to watch a movie and I had to be left out. I understand more now. But none of us like the feeling of being excluded from something. And we see here that throughout this story, the faithful love is the thing that includes us. The faithful love is the thing that redeems us. Now in the story, it's Ruth. But in our lives, it's Jesus Christ as the ultimate example of His display. The consequences of His steadfast, faithful love is the reason why we get to be included in the story. It's the reason why we get to be a part of the redemption. Romans 6 says, The consequence of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the consequences of Jesus Christ's faithful love is eternal life. Or as Romans says it without me twisting the words around. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The second point, oh, well, there it is right there. Um, so the second point I wanted to talk about, I'm stealing this phrase, but it's called the spiritual dynamite of friendship. A preacher, Tim Keller, one time talked about this and it, it stuck with me. But one thing that I think it's, I never got to really mention during this series, but I think it's worth mentioning, is we have to ask the question, how on earth did Ruth go from being a Moabite to being such a, a very devoted daughter-in-law to Naomi and even to the point of following God. We have this famous passage that I, I read to you when we were in chapter 1, but it says when Naomi's trying to send Ruth away, she replies, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord Yahweh deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. That is an intense level of devotion. And I don't think that just happens out of nowhere. And so the question that I wrestle with is, at what point or what is it that happened that led Ruth to getting to that point? And the thing that I have, I have to believe is that it is because Ruth watched her mother-in-law, Naomi, suffer and mourn the loss of her husband, and remain faithful to God in the process. She watched her mother-in-law, Naomi, lose her two sons and suffer. And whenever Ruth lost her husband, Naomi walked alongside her in that process. And so the point that I want to make is, is that I believe it is the greatest determining factor in Ruth deciding to be a follower of Yahweh probably had a lot to do with friendship. And I know you're sitting here thinking, okay, Drew, yeah, friendship is important, you know, big deal. But I think this is more important than that. I think it's something we really need to sit and think about. What is it that changed Ruth's life? Here's the bad news for me. It probably wasn't a sermon. It probably wasn't some small group ministry that a minister really thought about and planned out. It wasn't probably because of a great Bible study. It probably wasn't because she bought Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It probably wasn't because she read Lee Strobel's Case for Christ and heard all these amazing arguments about why Jesus is real and all. Those aren't the reasons why Ruth became a follower of God. It was because of her friendship with Naomi. Now let's talk about Naomi for a second. Naomi was a poor, hungry widow. What is it in her life that changed her story? It wasn't a government handout. It wasn't a non-profit organization coming and building a house for her. It wasn't a group of Christians saying, hey, we'll pray for you. You know what it was? 
The thing that changed her life was her friendship with Ruth. And so what I want to encourage you to think about is that we can listen to the, the greatest preachers in the world and we can read the most amazing books. We can do all sorts of things that we put... And by the way, they're all good things. They are all good things. But real spiritual life change, as we see in the story of Ruth, usually happens through a friend being willing to do life with you, a Christian friend being able to walk alongside you through the hills and the valleys of life. So here's the good news about that. The good news is, even for anyone in here, whether you're really social or not social at all, you were made in the image of God, meaning you were made to be in relationship. So at some level, all of us know what a pretty decent friendship looks like, how to be a part of one, how to give to one, how to receive one, and all of us know what a bad friendship looks like. So that's the good news. The good news that you can take away today is that you have the greatest evangelizing tool you could ever ask for in the fact that you know how to be a friend to someone. Here's the bad news. Being a friend is really hard a lot of the time. When I was in college, even if I didn't like the class, I was good enough at skimming the textbook and figuring out what I needed to figure out to get the grade I wanted on the test. There's no such thing as skimming the textbook when it comes to being a friend to someone. Being someone's friend, you can never cut corners. That's not friendship. Being someone's friend, you can never say, I think I've done enough. That's not friendship. Being friendship is something that takes time, it takes selflessness and effort, and it costs you something. And so the, the thing that I want you to, to think about is we see from this story something that is absolutely crucial, that the biggest dynamite that changed Ruth's faith was her friendship with Naomi. And I want you to ask yourself, and this is an interesting question, how many people are you friends with that aren't Christians? Now I know 1 Corinthians says bad company corrupts good morals, I think, right? I'm not promoting all of you to dump all your friends that are Christians and to go only be friends with people who don't know Jesus. But what I am getting you to think about is, if you're like me, you probably can't even list five people that you would say, like, I'm friends with them and they don't know Jesus. And I want you to think about what could it look like if you tried to think about the people in your life. And, and by the way, this doesn't just have to be people who profess Jesus Christ. These could be people who say they're Christians, but Clearly, Jesus isn't the Lord of their life at all. But find ways to realize the impact that you have. You could literally change their life. You could literally change their family's story just by being their friend. Like I said, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but it's something we all can do. And the third thing I want to talk about is one of my favorite things from this series is the fact that the story of Ruth is full of ordinary people living ordinary lives, and yet God is able to do extraordinary things. One thing that is constant throughout is that this story is not a story of the most brilliant person in the world doing the most amazing things. It's a story of people doing life. It's a story of how, I've said it before, but nowhere in the book of Ruth does the story ever say, and God did this. It only says at one point in Ruth 4 when it says, and God opened Ruth's womb and allowed her to have a baby. That's the only time where it says that God did something. But we see throughout the story that clearly God is at work. And part of the point of why the narrator never says, and God did this, and God did this, is because he wants us to see that even in our everyday lives, our every ordinary lives, God is clearly at work. And that when we are willing to take steps 
like Ruth, like Boaz, like Naomi, of loyalty, of devotion, of faithfulness, that God can do incredible things when we are willing to engage our ordinary lives with His story. He's not asking us to... Well, He's calling us to give over our entire lives. But that doesn't mean He's asking us to be the all-star of Christians. It's more... Are you willing to let everything, even the ordinary moments of your life, be something that you give over to God? In 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, it says, or 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, and then I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 10. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new create. The new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ and counting people's sins, not counting people's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconcili- reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. I chose this passage because I love the way it basically says, God has big plans of redeeming and reconciling the world. He so big that He sent His Son to die on, for, on the cross for us. And He invites us not to just be people that watch and, and get to see it go by. But when we are willing and we use our lives just like Ruth and Boaz, we're able to join in the story. We're able to be ambassadors to that message of reconciliation. I'm going to use one analogy and then I'll close. Um, There's a famous monk, uh, a Carmelite monk. I don't really know what the Carmelite part means. Maybe they invented Carmel. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I know that's not it. But a Carmelite monk, his name was Brother Lawrence. He was involved in the war. This was in the 17th century. He was involved in a war and he came back and he decided to become a monk, to give his life to God. And you know what job they gave him at the monastery? They gave him the job of cooking and doing the dishes. And one of his, he, he wrote a book that's a very famous book. It's, he didn't write it. He wrote a lot of letters that they compiled into a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And one of the main things that he took away was as he was doing the dishes, as he was cooking, he kept thinking, God, I, I gave my life to you and you've got me doing this pointless job. But over time, what he came to realize is he said, you know what? If I'm truly giving my life to God, then I'm going to wash these dishes like I would, I'm dedicating my work to God to where there's nothing I'm doing that's too small or too big that I can't give it over to God, even in my ordinary moments. Um, he, he has this, this uh, quote that I think really, really resounds with this idea. We ought not be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. We get this opportunity each and every day in our ordinary lives. You may think that standing in line at the grocery store is just nothing. You may think that ordering food at the restaurant when you're talking to the waitress is just, oh, you know, another ordinary thing. But standing in the line at the grocery store is an ordinary opportunity where you have a chance to join in God's story Introduce yourself to the person behind you. Talk to the the person with respect when you're ordering your food. Be kind. Hey, this soup is cold. Oh, by the way, I just came from church. Look at me in my great, nice church clothes. 
How about say, I'm so sorry, um, the soup is cold. Um, I know it's not your fault. Could you bring it back? That's an ordinary opportunity where you have the ability to join in God's extraordinary work where someone can go home and say, you know what, there was this really sweet Christian person who treated me with respect and dignity. When you're watching your kids or grandkids play sports, you have an opportunity to witness based on the way you talk to them or the referee. Whenever you're at the doctor's office waiting, like, oh, I've been here for forever. I don't know, in Clifton, does it go quick with it being such a small hospital? I don't know. Working out at the gym, every one of those ordinary places is an opportunity where if you're willing to buy in, if you're willing to be an ambassador to the message of reconciliation, God can do amazing things with that work. So if any of you would like to learn more about what it means to join in that, if you would like to learn more about being a part of God's redemptive and story, the beautiful thing is, is that God both redeemed Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and used them in the story of redemption. And so that's available to each and every one of us to be included where our lives are redeemed and for him to use us in order to redeem and bring others to know him. If you'd like to learn more about that, we'd love to talk to you. And the elders will be at the exits if you have any prayer requests while we stand and sing this song.